Hey, thank you very much for inviting me back. It is nice to get invited back, because you know you didn't make a terrible mess of it the last time. To thank you also, one of the pieces of good news we've had for the Eastern Association recently is the, the fact that in terms of our home mission giving, we actually gave more this year than we did last year, or rather last year than the year before. That's probably the right way to put it, isn't it? This year isn't yet over, is it? No. Catch up quickly. <laughs> and... Um, and to thank you for the part that you played in that, because it means that some of that giving which came from you has enabled the church plants at, uh, for instance, at, uh, in Southend, Church of Scratch and Campbell in Cambridge to go ahead. It's also enabled less spectacular things to happen, like uh, continual work in a rural situation in Samersham, which has had a minister in training and then a minister who's been there full time since then. Things that don't necessarily show up in sort of videos and things like that, but where changes have been made to people's lives genuinely and deeply because of the giving that folk have, have made through Home Mission. And I'm particularly grateful because Home Mission also enables the association to do what it does, so I wouldn't be here without it. So um, you may think that's a good thing or not, that's another matter. I've, I've got a bit of a confession to make, and this is why you had a different reading in your, your, um, your service sheet this morning, is because my habit, because I, I go around preaching in different places every Sunday... I have discovered that there is a terrible temptation, which is to take the best sermon you've currently got and use it again and again. Uh, so I try, because I think it's a very important spiritual discipline, not to do that. I mean, it is God's word, and therefore it can speak, but it gets a bit stale after a while if you're not careful, if you're the preacher. So what I tend to do is I take what, what's called the lectionary. You know, this is a list of Bible readings for each day of, of, or each, each week. And I simply preach on those, regardless of where I'm going, because I reckon, well, that will do it. The, the Gospel reading was the Luke 4 passage that you had, but unfortunately, another church I went to a little while ago asked me to preach on that a couple of weeks ago. And I, in my, in my pride, thought, oh, well, I can find a different angle for it, for Burlington. I couldn't. And it failed. So I went to the, to, to the epistle reading, which is the 1 Corinthians thing, and that actually came very much alive to me. So it just shows I should have read that first in the first place, really. It came alive because it's saying some things about church. And I guess church is really, in many ways, what, well, what we're about here. But, you know, it's a strange thing. In many ways, church is the most significant thing that we're doing here at this very moment. But... Also, it can be a, a phrase or a notion that can produce all sorts of negative reactions. I mean, somebody once said that in the Eastern Church, they tend to think, you know, the Orthodox, and that, they tend to think of the church as their mother, right? They talk about mother church. In the Western Church, we tend to think of church as our mother-in-law. <laughs> Some truth in that came across this, a church decided to have four separate worship services each Sunday. There was one service for those people who were new to the faith, another for regular members uh, who preferred the more traditional worship service, one for those who'd lost their faith and wanted to get it back, and a service for those who had, been, who had had some unsuccessful experiences with other churches and had some complaints. The four divisions were named Finders, Keepers, Losers and Weepers. Well, in a way, though, again, that sort of somehow gives a varied impression, doesn't it? It sort of tells us that our experiences in church are 
both positive but also not so positive. This is one of the experiences in church that I hope we don't see too much of. It's come to my attention that there's been a minor split in the church. Fortunately, your pews cannot be rearranged in that fashion, so we're all right there. But the whole business of of church being a unity but being diverse, being one but being many, is, is actually quite problematic because we live in a world that is quite fractured along its divisions and its distinctions. I was hearing on the radio as I drove along this morning about the big hoo-ha about Big Brother and all the rest of it recently, about racial prejudice and all the rest of it. But the, the speaker was talking about how there's also, though, class prejudice, which is still embedded often very deeply into lots of things that happen in our particular society. There are those fracture lines that are based upon the differences that we have. And there is a real danger that those differences can become reasons for fracturing and falling apart. The same thing is true in the church. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. The divisions in the church are not between denominations. They are across them very often in terms of different approaches to worship or different approaches to mission or different approaches to moral issues or whatever. What do we do about that? Is there anything that the Bible can tell us that's going to help us? Well, the fact of the matter is that the first century church and world was just as divided, just as combined of differences as our one is. So I think that what Paul has to say here can help us. And indeed, what he has to say that's significant is summed up in that one verse. You are the body of Christ. And that gets us immediately to the heart of the matter of, well, how on earth can you bring all these differences and so on together? Because the heart of the matter begins with you, plural. Do notice that. One of the great problems, the English language is a wonderful language. It's rich, it's full, it's fantastic. It's got Shakespeare, it's got all sorts of things. But in some areas there is a certain impoverishment and it's in the area of you's. Because we use the one word you to mean you singular and you plural. Okay, the French don't do that, do they? You know, the Germans don't do that, but we do that. Now, the problem is the Greeks didn't do it either, in which the New Testament was written. And therefore, when we read you, we very often think that means me, singular, because we can't tell whether it's plural instantly. All of the yous, virtually all of the yous in the New Testament, are plural ones, and certainly in in the letters to the churches they are. And it's important to get that on board. This is addressed to us all, okay? And certain things that sort of follow from that. Therefore, it's, it's the many, not the one, that really is the crucial thing. It's pointing out to us already that there is diversity, that there's difference, that there's variety, that there's back, different backgrounds represented here, different experiences represented here, different abilities represented here, different uh, histories, stories, all represented, all a vast variety in the you, and that's grand because out of that will come great interest and great significance. There'll be things that some of you can do I could not possibly do. There'll be things that Simon can do that others of you can't do, things you will be able to do and shed light on that Simon wouldn't know in a million years because of the variety of experience and background that every single one of us have. And therefore, any sense that the church can be a uniform body is a complete nonsense. It can never be uniform. In fact, wouldn't it be astonishingly dull if it was? I have to say, sometimes in my dreams, I think 
as I get another phone call from a church secretary telling me of a problem in a church, or I hear of another minister who's having a little bit of difficulty, I think to myself, wouldn't the world, wouldn't the church be wonderful if they were all like me? I mean, I don't have any problems with me, on the whole, you know. I quite like me, usually, you know. Uh, I know me really very well. I know how I'm going to react, and I know I wouldn't cause me any trouble whatsoever. But, of course, if it were like that, I mean, that picture that we tried to get together of the body, all you would have had, instead of all those children, all those adults, all those people rustling and bustling here, you would have just had this. That's pretty boring, isn't it, really? Thank you, don't go too far. So, therefore, the fact of variety is to be welcomed. And indeed, it's absolutely necessary. You can't have it any other way. It's important to bear that in mind. You can't have it any other way. There's got to be the use that are the plural. But then there's something quite important, and this is the next point. This fits into the body, okay? the body. Paul talks about it having many parts and he stresses the fact that these all form one body. He points out these are connected. That's a crucial thing. We are meant to work together. That's where we have uh, structures of thinking and coming together and deciding and all the rest of it. To get connected into the body. Now, one of the sacred things about Baptist church life is church meeting. Isn't it? Now, I sense a certain ambivalence here. And the reason we have church meeting, you know, is not because it is a sacred Baptist principle. Can I stress that? It's not because it's a sacred Baptist principle. It may be a sacred Baptist principle, but that's not why we have it. The reason we have it is because we're a body. It's an attempt to work out the connectedness of the body of Christ. Because let's face it, if a body never comes together to do anything, to think, to reflect, to work, it cannot be a body, can it? Therefore, it needs at times to experience that connection, that meeting up, where one part can influence another and where some can think this and others that, and where the general drawing together of of thought and action under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit can lead us on where we're going. The essential connectedness that comes about through being a body, we express in a variety of ways, but that's one of them. And if you don't have a body like that, it will fall apart. I'm a bit worried about my illustration that I still don't have that thigh bone. Because that means that one of the legs isn't going to work and we're going to be a very lopsided body. But you see, when the different parts are missing, and maybe there's a story in that, parable in that, when the different parts of the body are missing, then it isn't going to function very well. If, if next week, because Simon can't think of anything better, and he does that, that, that illustration again, it would be interesting to see if all the same parts are there. Because so often in church life, you know, I don't know about you, I've discovered that I go to church three times running in a month and I don't see the same people. They're not all there all the time. No, they may have very good reasons for that, but it just strikes me, if we don't get connected regularly, maybe things aren't going to work out too well at times. Just a thought, just a moan, I'll move on. (laughs) Because there's also in connection, there's something else. 
Paul talks about a submitted concern. What do I mean by that? Well, look, verse 25. So there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. You may have noticed, because you're very observant people, I'm wandering up and down here. What you may not realise as very observant people is I'm doing that because I've got a pain in my hip at the moment. <laughs> which uh, I don't quite know what's causing it. I think it's old age, actually, and a rather lumpy mattress when I was away at the beginning of this week. But, you know, there's a bit of back pain. But when your back hurts, it's not just your back that's hurting, is it? It's you. It's all of you. My wife testifies that it's all of me in terms of, you know, you get a bit grumpy, get a bit dissatisfied, whatever. I'm moving around in order to keep it easy. But, you see, if a part of the body suffers, all of it suffers. There is, the body is linked together by a concern, a real concern for each and every part of it. And it's a concern that's submitted. And what I mean by that is, it's, 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 it's put my personal interests below those of others. That's what concern does. You know, if, you don't, if you're not particularly bothered about other people, but just concerned, worried about yourself, well, you're not submitting your concerns, are you? And it's very, very easy in any human group to have our own thoughts and our own needs uppermost in our minds. Well, to some degree, that's natural. But in the body of Christ, we are called to submit our concerns to those of others. To think of them, think of others more highly than you, than yourself, Paul says. To put others before ourselves because that's the way in which the body really functions. As people discover the value that is placed upon them by other people. As people are aware of the concern that they have, that others have for them, uh, as they think beyond self and discover the astonishing value of that, the liberty that that gives to people. When I stop saying, I want it my way, and let's start saying, how does God want it his way? And seeing in other people the actual working out of God's purposes in their lives and in their, their passions, in their concerns, in what they're doing. And then, of course, the most crucial bit comes in. It's you, the body of Christ, is what Paul is saying. You are the body of Christ. Uh, I mean, it's obvious, really, but it's worth saying, it's his body, not ours. He's in charge. As we said, we didn't put a head into it because I thought it would be a bit daft to do that and it wouldn't have made the point I wanted to make. But Christ is the head of the church, his body. He's the one who is the disposer, the dispenser of what we do. But look at the things that Paul says that means for us in the first place. Look at verse 13, where, what does he say there? For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to, to drink from. We have been called to Christ, each and every one of us, regardless of background, regardless of what we, we've done, who we are, Christ has called us. That places a dignity and a value on each one of us that we cannot achieve, that we cannot deserve, that no one else could give to us. You could be laden down with, with, with degrees from universities. You could be given awards for all sorts of things. You know, your musicians could be winning all sorts of awards. Your minister could become the preacher of the world, you know. You could be given all sorts of, of titles. The queen could decide to sort of scatter honours all about you. 
None of that would be as great as this. You have been called by Christ to be his child, to be part of his body, his body. That's the most astonishing thing that's ever happened. The God of heaven, the God of the stars that have been flung into space, the God of the universe has called you to become part of his body. Moreover, we're gathered together through baptism. I'm not saying that just because it's a Baptist church, (laughs) but because it's underlying something that I think needs to be said. You see, some of the things that we do in church, what are they there for? Are they just sort of, you know, things that we get on with, muck about with, you know, change? No, I think some of them are really quite important, and baptism's one of them. Baptism is an expression of what God has done for us, not just of us committing ourselves to him. It may be that, and indeed it is that, but primarily it's what God's done for us, given us his spirit, forgiven our sins, filled us with his love. And the act of baptism, and also the act of communion, which is what the other thing we call a sacrament or an ordinance, the things we regularly do in church, are things to bind us together into the body, reminding us we're not just on our own, we are part of a community. That we are not just outcasts, we've been now God's people. And that by going, those particular acts are actually things, those events of baptism and communion, are things that say, God says to us, you are mine, I love you, I care for you, and I have brought you together in a body to love and to serve one another and to love and to serve my world that you are in as my body to do what I have done for you, you can do now for the world in which I placed you. And those different things that, that you know, the special events in church life, the things that we go through to remind us about Jesus and what he's done, these are not unimportant. They are actually some of the stuff that keeps us together as a body. It really does. It's interesting, Paul in Corinthians also talks about a communion service in in the church at Corinth, uh, which didn't go quite right. I don't know how your communion services are, but this was one where people turned up Uh, late for it because they'd been working hard and found A, that all the food had gone and B, that the people knocking about were drunk. I'm sure that doesn't happen in many of your communion services. I hope it doesn't happen in any of them. But Paul doesn't actually get annoyed because they're drunk. He gets annoyed because he says, you have failed to recognise the body of Christ here because you've let the, the people with least have no food. You've guzzled greedily what was there and left other people out. You have not discerned, he says, the body of Christ. He wasn't talking about bread and wine, he meant people. It's profoundly important to recognise that in those acts of baptism and the Lord's Supper, we are linked together in Christ with one another. We cannot be apart. We're linked, connected, bound up in a positive way. And in that pattern, sustained by God's Spirit, made, given the one Spirit to drink, we're not left alone. Church is not about just coming and worshipping. It's about being sustained as God's people in his world. Here we come and we draw strength with one another. We share and get encouragement. 
We learn from the scriptures. We offer praise. But in all of it, all of this is opening us more and more to God himself through his Holy Spirit to come and plant in us that fruit of his that really will fashion and characterises what a church is like in terms of how it looks, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the humility, the self-control, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. And also, sustained by the Spirit in that set of characteristics, the church can take the risk of being allowed to have gifts of power and authority and help and aid. It's important to see it in that light, you know, that those gifts, that some of which Paul mentioned about miracles and healing and things like that, they are meant to operate, in fact they only operate properly within the atmosphere of God's Holy Spirit in terms of the fruit. When they become matters of show, when they become matters of people saying, in effect, look what I can do, they've failed. Because it's within that context of God's person and reality that all those other things actually become real, vital elements of ministry that actually can make a difference to to people. This is all church stuff in the best sense that we're talking about here, aren't we? The things we do as church, the people we are as church, but can I just stress again, but this is God's stuff too, most importantly. What we are engaged in as God's people, we are engaged in because of him. And indeed, when you think about it, the mystery of the nature of God is such that the only way we can comprehend God as the one God is to also understand him as three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, revealed in the scriptures. The notion of God as trinity, oneness and community actually undergirds what we're talking about here and now as being God's people. Within God there's community, as it were. And the love that circulates around the reality of the one God is that same energy that he gives to us as his people to work around us. I mean, I don't know about you, this tends to make me a little bit excited (laughs) because this is absolutely astonishing. You the body of Christ. And I include myself in that. We are the body of Christ. What did Jesus do? He turned the world upside down for good, so can we. What did Jesus do? He came and showed people who are going in the wrong direction, there's a better way, turn away. We could do that. What did Jesus do? He came to people who were the outcasts, who other people didn't like, you know, the lepers, the foreigners. And he said, come on in, we can do that. He came to people who were sick and broken in heart. And he touched them and he healed them. We can do that. We can be the means of that happening. What did Jesus do? He came to people who were hungry physically and without nurture and he fed them. We can do that too. Because it's important that we do that. What did Jesus do? He came to bring life to the world and to display what that life might mean and to give himself to that end. So can we. We are his body. God has actually chosen in Jesus Christ that folk like us are going to be the people who change the world and turn it upside down. It needs a fair amount of dedication to God's way if that's to be be what's going to happen. This is something we commit to. 
because there are times when it doesn't always seem apparent and there are times when it's difficult, but we commit to it. And we need to remember that this can only really happen where there is that unity of heart and mind where we're willing to say, yes, you to the others in the body are certainly the body because, as I've said already, otherwise there isn't one. And essentially what we need to do as God's people in terms of responding to all this, we can only really do together. Maybe as I've been speaking, you've been thinking, this bloke's getting a bit too excited. You know. I mean, he doesn't know anything about my life, he doesn't know the pressures on it, he doesn't know the stresses, the strains, the difficulties. And you're quite right, but then again, you don't know anything about mine, so snap. <laughs> but if you're thinking, but I can't do that, I can't be like that, I can't share the gospel in this way, or I can't care in that way, listen. You are the body of Christ. You're not meant to do it on your own. That's the glory of the church. We're not trying to do it all on our own. We are part of the body of Christ where together, in amazing ways, to be known and to be made known, it will happen. We will be and we will do what God in Christ has already done and we will carry that on for him till he comes again. It's interesting uh, that uh, the bit that Heather came and spoke about about uh, about emotional healing and so on, and about how many people really do feel pr- pretty rubbishy. You know, and I, I suspect it's actually roughly about a hundred percent of people, <laughs> in some way or another, feel a bit like that. Can I just say to you one of the astonishing things? If you do feel like that, listen. Jesus has chosen you to be part of his body. Isn't that a bit amazing? Jesus has chosen you to be part of his body. I think that's absolutely astonishing. And in that body, he finds us useful and valuable. Again, even more amazing. But it's true. You are the body of Christ. So, be it, I suppose, is the message. Firstly, though, perhaps feel it. Sense the wonder of that. Sense the the value that's been put upon you in that. Sense the immense grace that's poured out upon you as God's body. And just let it flow around lots of other people as well. Don't be frightened of what God may want you to do because together you can do it. Don't worry about what you may be called to do because together you can do it. Don't be worried that you'll be left behind or that you'll be unimportant or insignificant. Do you notice some of the interesting things that Paul said there? You know, parts of the body, some parts of the body are a bit unpresentable. Now, I'm not going to go into what on earth he meant by that. But he said they are treated with greater modesty, greater appreciation, in a sense, greater value. There's no such thing as a bit of the body of Christ that doesn't matter or has no value. You are the body of Christ. And each and every one of us is a part of it. In a moment... We'll sing and then 
will have a time of response and prayer that, that Simon will lead. But here's a prayer that I just thought we might use in a way to sum up, I hope, something of what we've thought, what we've felt, what we've, what we've heard. And just use it as a gateway into saying, Lord, I want to be part of this body just that bit more, as it were. I want to know the connectedness afresh. I want to discover the wonder of the diversity we've got. And I want to see how it can really come together and be used for your kingdom. And I want to say thank you for the fact that you've put me into this, this amazing body of people, this amazing group of people. Because I think that's probably pretty important. It's very easy in any human group to always notice the grumpy things, isn't it? You know, Or the things that are a bit not quite what I like. It's always important in God's church to say thank you, to notice the things that have blessed us, to notice the things that have encouraged us, to notice the things that have brought joy. Those are the more important things. Let's just be quiet for a few moments and then, if, and then let's join in this prayer together because I think we can pray it together because we are the body of Christ and this simply expresses what God has done for us in Jesus. Lord, fill our hearts and minds with wonder at your love. Fill them also up with astonishment at what you've done for us and work in us a deep sense of of awe at all these things, gratitude at them, and gladness and joy because you've called us to be your own. And Lord, as we pray, we ask that your Holy Spirit may take these words that we utter and let them rebound on our own heads, as it were, with his fruits and his gifts and glory to you in what we are and all we do. Hear our prayer as we pray now in Jesus' name. Father God, thank you for giving us one another. Thank you for putting us with others who follow Jesus. Thank you for making us all different. Please help us to let our differences make our life together richer and stronger. Help us to value all people and to discover where they fit into your plans and purposes. Enable us to live together in genuine appreciation and peace. We give ourselves afresh to you in the body of Christ. May each one of us grow in you because we worship and serve you in the Spirit's power together. Amen.